Turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the eighth chapter of John's Gospel, for a sermon entitled, Unless. John chapter eight, Unless. Now today's sermon is not going to be the kind of sermon that appeals to all people. You might say, well, what's new, Pastor? (laughs) Today, I'm going to tug at your head and not so much your heart. There are people that are not moved by rousing rhetoric or poetical pleas or touching stories. These are people. If you're, if you're going to reach them for Jesus, you have to become cerebral for them. And so today's sermon is for our thinkers. If you don't like to think, just tell your neighbor to wake you up at the hymn of invitation and take yourself a good nap. If you like to think, then stay with me and really put your thinking cap on. We're going to challenge you this morning. Jesus is telling the crowd in John chapter 8 that he's going away. And where he is going, they cannot come. In this passage, we have two of the great I am sayings of the Gospel of John. That in itself should highlight the power of this passage. You're familiar with the I am sayings in the Gospel of John. They go back to the fact that in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses says, Who will I say has sent me? God says, you tell them Yahweh, I am the God of being. It simply means I am. I am the God who is. I am God. I'm the God who exists. An interesting play in the fourth gospel, the Johannine gospel, Jesus says, I am a lot. And thus he's saying, he is the I am. He's God. You remember a few of these. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or he says, I am the light of the world. Or he says, I am the good shepherd. Throughout this fourth gospel, Jesus is always playing off of Yahweh or I am the name of God saying I am. In fact, there's sometimes he simply says, I am, meaning he is God. Well, look at verse 24 of John chapter 8 for the first one. I said, therefore, to you that you shall die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe I am, that I am God, that I am he, that I am the Messiah, you will die in your sins. And then verse 28, when you lift up the son of man, you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak the things which the Father has taught me. In fact, he says in verse 21, you will die in your sin, singular. There really is only one sin, isn't there? And that is not believing that Jesus is the Messiah. And that one sin leads to all other sins, plural. You see, in reality, we live our life in one of two ways. We're either God-centered, and therefore we try to obey God's Word and recognize His Messiah, or we're self-centered, thinking that we're smarter than God, and we have another key, another way to find eternal blessing. 
verse 22, some of the crowd think Jesus is going to kill himself. Surely he will not kill himself because he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. Jesus isn't going to kill himself. They're going to kill him. But in an ominous way, he's He's speaking of the crowd taking their own lives in reality because if they persist and the refusal to recognize Jesus as the Christ, they're sealing themselves for eternal death forever. Jesus tries to say in verse 23, I'm from above. I'm not just from the other side of the mountain or the hill. I am from God. I am from above. I have been sent from above. And he's telling us when we reject Jesus, when we reject him as the great I am, then we have decided our own eternal death. This is a keeping with what's said elsewhere in John's gospel. It shouldn't surprise us that he says it that way. In fact, he says in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. I'm the only key, I'm the only way. Or in John 3, he who does not believe in me has been judged already because he has not believed in the Son of God. The only way to God the Father is clearly through Jesus. He points to his cross in verse 28. When I am lifted up, when I am crucified, then you will know that I am the sacrificed Son of God, that I am He. In the strange way, when Jesus is crucified, God has come to man. He has made himself accessible to us. And the barrier of sin that separated a holy God from us, an unholy people, well, it is reconciled in the blood of the Son. Do you want to know what God looks like? Look to the cross. Do you want to know how much God loves the world? Look to the cross. You want to know God? Look to the cross. And Jesus makes a very exclusive claim here. Unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. Now we live in a culture, an intellectual environment, in which anyone who makes an absolute truth claim like Jesus makes here is belittled. How dare Jesus say he's the only way to the Father? Other cultures, other times, other places have found other ways to God. Who's to say that their way is not just as legitimate as the way of Jesus? How dare Jesus say, unless you believe in me that I am he? In the academic halls and in politically correct conversations, a notion exists that no one should ever dare assert his belief system is above another. In fact, going a step further, the world's wisdom would tell us there are no absolute truth claims at all. You can't say, I'm the only way. I'll live by my truth, the world says. You live by your truth. Everybody has an equally valid truth. The problem with Christianity is it's a very exclusive religion. Oh, it's available to all people at all times in all places, but you can't change it. 
Christianity says something like this. I know God, and I know what God is like, and I know the truth, and I've encountered that God, and I've encountered that truth and the person of Jesus. And you will not have eternity unless you know Jesus too. That's what Jesus is saying here. There's no way to water down this exclusive claim that Jesus makes that unless you believe that I am he, the Messiah, the Christos, the Kyrios, the Lord, unless you believe, you will spend eternity in your sin. Well, I want to give you some examples this morning of how people try to deal with, get rid of the exclusive truth claims of Jesus. First of all, some people just try to hope it away. I hope Jesus isn't the only way. I hope there's other ways to get to God. I hope the gospel's a hoax. I hope the world begins to think. Mark Lilla, who teaches history at Columbia University, wrote a book called The Stillborn God. And Lilla says the stillborn God is a God of liberal mainline Christianity. That was supposed to be the religion of the future where we would take all doctrine as simply being metaphorically explained and we would just be tolerant with everyone's belief, whatever they believed about Jesus. And basically Christianity could be dwindled down to the idea of love your neighbor and make the world a better place. Don't worry about the miracles. Those really couldn't have happened. And the crucifixion, that's sort of a violent story. And the resurrection, everybody knows that dead men don't live again. But that religion hasn't worked. Those churches are empty because they have nothing worthwhile to say. In fact, the kind of Christianity that's moving across this globe is a miracle-believing, supernatural, Christ and cross, resurrection Christianity. No less an authority than the Chronicle of Higher Education, which is a magazine to university administrators. They're not excited about it, but they came out with an article entitled that they were orthodox religion, they were scholars being graduated. Are we ready for the new wave of believing scholars? In other words, Christianity has not gone away. That men and women with the brightest and the best minds were about to graduate with the highest degrees from the best institutions. And the Chronicle was saying, get ready, academia. There's a whole new brood of believers, scholars, coming your way. In fact, the New York Times Magazine did an article saying science or scientists are just perplexed how the majority of people even still believe in God when all you need to do is to follow science, they argue. You cannot hope Christianity away. It is here to stay. It is only in this message of a crucified, lifted up Christ and the power and the hope of the resurrection that rings true in the hearts and even the heads of those who believe. Someone said in the early episodes of Star Trek, now I'm not a Trekkie, I know nothing about it, I don't understand it, but for those of you who do, in the early episodes of Star Trek, that with Spock and Kirk, there was no religion on the show. Because science fiction writers suppose that in the future, when we're all scientists, we'll have no need of religion or mystical things anymore. And yet, all the way by the second round of Star Trek, they reintroduce religion because they realized as writers that religion is not going away. 
Second way people try to respond to the claims of Christ, the claim that he's the only way the Father is to outlaw such claims. Ever heard of the Soviet Union? How many times has outlawing God not worked? China in 1945-1946 outlawed Western missionaries. They thought when they got rid of the Western missionaries, they would get rid of what they thought really isn't a Western religion. We're not a Western religion, but we'll get rid of Christianity. But in reality, Christianity is growing in China like never before. The Western missionaries had to leave. It became an indigenous movement. And now it's not what the Americans are trying to place on them, but rather the belief in Christ is spreading like wildfire. In fact, so much so that one missiologist said there are more Christians in China than there are in America. And prediction is in 100 years, China will be 30 to 40% Christians because of the spreading of the gospel. You can't outlaw the power of the gospel. Here's a third way people try to deal with it. They try to explain it away. How many scholars over how many decades have tried to say you cannot make an absolute truth claim? Now, I want you to think about that. They've all failed. Their own logic forbids their very statement. In making the claim that is absolutely true, that there are no absolute truths, you've made an absolute truth claim. You see that? You can't have it both ways. You can't say there's no absolute truth because in saying there's no absolute truth, you've pronounced an absolute truth. So you defeat yourself by your own argument in saying there are no absolute truth claims. Explaining away the Christ and his cross leads you immediately to position that is self-contradictory. C.S. Lewis writes, you cannot go away, go explaining away forever. You will find that you've explained explanation itself away. You cannot go on seeing through forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. Yeah, the reality is you cannot explain absolute truth away. Here's the fourth thing I would say. You cannot argue it away. The idea, what our culture wants us to say is that all religions are equally right and therefore Jesus is only one way and not the only way and his claim that I am the way, the truth, and life and no one comes to the Father but through me is a bad, absurd claim. Well, Christianity is different. All the other religions of the world say something like this. The leader comes up and says, I am a prophet and I know how to lead you to God. All the other world religions, a prophet shows up and says, I'm the prophet and I know how to lead you to God. In Christianity, it's all different. The founder says, I am God and I've come to find you. I am God and I have come to earth to find you. It's a radically different idea than any other religion in the world. Intellectual pastor Timothy Keller says he was on a panel with an imam and a rabbi, they were talking to a group of, of students at the social school in downtown New York. He said, I really upset the students. He said, I said something like this. If Jesus is not just a prophet showing us how to find God, 
But if he is actually God having come to find us, then Christianity is a superior religion to my Muslim and my Jewish brother right here. Christianity is totally different than they are if indeed Jesus is God come to find us. On the other hand, said Keller, if, if Jesus is not right, if what Jesus said is not true, then my religion, Christianity, is a much inferior religion with Jesus being a fraud blasphemous, claiming to be God. In fact, interestingly enough, the Muslim cleric agreed. And the rabbi agreed. How could you not agree? If Jesus really is God coming to find us, then Christianity is the only true religion. But if Jesus is indeed not God, but just a deranged rabbi, then we are a pitiful people. Well, yes, the Muslim cleric said, that's a true statement. Yes, said the rabbi, that's a true statement. But the students were upset. No, 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 we don't talk that way anymore. No, we're all equal. You're equal, Christian. You're equal, Muslim. You're equal, Jew. Everybody's equal. Everybody's got a good religion and a good God. Don't talk that way. The students were very, very upset. And the religious leaders agreed on one thing. They said to the students, you are violating what we teach and what we say. How dare you violate us? You're not listening to what we're trying to say. It's who we are. You cannot say, said all three religious representatives, that all religions are equally right. It's a self-contradictory statement. Either Christianity is a far better way or Christianity is a far worse way. It cannot be both ways. Now, you might say in humility that you yourself do not know which religion, religion is true. That would be a, a true statement. But you cannot say that no one can know the truth. If, you th if you're saying this morning in your position that no one can know the real truth and you're being awfully arrogant and dogmatic and presuming that you have the ultimate view of reality that none of us could know the truth, which is greater than the exclusive religion reality. By the way, you would be very, the very exclusivity and your statement would be criticizing the very thing that you detest, wouldn't it? There was a pastor trying to win a lady to Christ one time. At a point in the conversation, she realized where he was going, trying to lead her to Christ. And the lady said, now, wait a minute. What are you trying to do to me? And he said, I'm trying to evangelize you. You mean you're trying to convert me? He said, yes. You're trying to get me to adopt your view of spiritual reality and convert me? Yes, said the pastor. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to do it in secret. That's what I'm trying to do. How narrow, she said. How awful. Nobody should say that their view of spirituality is better than anybody else's or try to convert them to it. Oh, no, no, no. Everybody should just leave everybody else alone. Now, wait a minute, said the pastor. Wait a minute. You're asking me to adopt your view of spiritual reality, aren't you? What are you trying to do to me? The pastor said to the woman. 
What you're saying is, I have to take on your spiritual reality that all religions are equal. You're saying I'd be better off if I thought about religion like you did. You're doing exactly the same thing to me that I'm trying to do to you. You told me not to evangelize and you just tried to convert me to your view of spiritual reality. And he said, and, I'm, and I quote, you're trying to evangelize me to you, and I'm quoting your Western, white, enlightenment, individualic, privatized understanding of religion. It's not narrow to make an exclusive truth claim. To say there are no exclusive truth claims is, in essence, to make a truth claim. So what do we do? We're making exclusive truth claims. Well, we're not. Jesus is. We're, we're following him. I'm standing in this pulpit today to say live streaming and live television that Jesus Christ is the only way the Father. That's what he said. I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. How do we preach that message in a new way? The reality is Jesus didn't arrive on this first arrival riding a horse and brandishing a sword. He went to a cross and died. He became a servant. He was sacrificed. He became weak. He who knew no sin became sin for us, for the world. He came as a God willing to wash our feet. That means that those of us who hold the truth claim of Christianity, the exclusive truth claim, we don't hate anybody. When we try to change you, it's because we love you not because we hate you. We don't despise anybody. We don't think we're better than anybody else. I'm quite sure there are some Hindu fathers that are a better father than I. I'm sure of that. And I know there are some Buddhist neighbors who are a better neighbor than I. Just ask my neighbors. I am sure of that. But I do know the truth. I am saved by grace, not by myself, but by my Christ. Christianity used to work that way, you know. I'm not asking you to go to a new way. I'm asking you to go the old way. Why did Christianity, which wanted no political power, overrun the, the Roman Empire? The Roman Empire said there are lots of gods and goddesses. Paul saw the altars to all the gods and goddesses. And Christians said there's only one God, and that is through Christ we find God. Yet Christianity outlasted the Roman Empire. They said we have a God, we have the true God, but it looked different. You know, in the, the Greco-Roman Empire, the poor were pressed down, but Christians came and said, as Christ said, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. In the Greco-Roman Empire, women were marginalized and given no power or authority, and Christ came and well, through Christ and through Christianity, the Roman Empire, there's Lydia and there's Phoebe. And he says, there's neither male nor female. You see, in the other world, the races were kept apart and everybody was on a certain strata. But, but now he comes and says, there's neither slave nor free. In the Roman church, there were actually slaves who were teaching their masters scripture. And when the plagues came in and everybody ran out and they left their family to die, the Christians stayed and some of them died taking care of the sick. And people had to notice, what is this religion that loves this way, that loves the poor and loves the marginalized women? 
Those who aren't keeping the races or classes apart. And those who stay to serve in the midst of a life-threatening plague. It's the kind of religion that has a Christ who, who washes the feet of his followers. It's the kind of religion that when Jesus dies on the cross, he looks at those who crucified him and says... Oh, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's the kind of religion where the Messiah says, I want you to pray for your enemies. I want you to love those who persecute you. You see, Christians... We're the most narrow-minded then and now about our exclusive truth claims, and yet we're the most inclusive in loving all people of all races, all classes, all genders. It's okay to be a fundamentalist if your fundamental is a man dying on the cross for his enemies, a man who prayed for his enemies, loving them, when that seeks down into our heart that the one who made the exclusive truth claim was not arrogant, but rather loving and kind, then we become the kind of exclusive truth claim that the whole world can embrace. But make no mistake about what Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Therefore, he says in John 8, I say to you, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. Let us pray. Oh God, maybe there's someone watching by television or someone here in this sanctuary. And they know they need to come today and make that exclusive proclamation that Jesus is Lord he died for me and he rose again and I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And right now, he or she would pray in their heart. Oh God, accept me and love me a sinner. Forgive me as I make Jesus my savior and my God. Maybe there are others here this morning who need to be a part of this great congregation that will proclaim the exclusive truth of the gospel in the most loving way. Just like the apostles did. The way is narrow, but the love is broad. Oh God, be with us and may we respond to your proclaimed message as your spirit prompts us. Amen.